Hello ninjas and ninjets and welcome to another episode of the Exposure Ninja Digital Marketing Podcast. This show is all about helping you to generate more leads and sales through your website. My name's Tim, I'm Head Ninja at Exposure Ninja and best-selling digital marketing author. And in this episode, I'm joined by Chris Groves. Chris Groves is Head of Editorial here at Exposure Ninja. In this job, Chris is proofing and editing a huge amount of content from our content writers across loads of different websites, all sorts of different markets. So this gives him a really interesting perspective on what makes compelling copy, because if you think about it, one minute he might be editing content from a solicitor's site, another time he might be editing for an e-commerce site about fireworks. It could be all, you know, all sorts of stuff in there. So it means that he's got to keep on wearing lots of different hats. So what I wanted to do is bring him onto the podcast to talk about what the common things that he sees between the best website copy. So what does he consider the keys to good website copy because of his unique perspective being able to see across all of these different markets. I think he's got a lot of interesting insights into this topic. Don't forget, if you want some help with your own website copy or you want some help with your digital marketing in general, then we offer a free service where one of our expert marketing ninjas will take a look at your website and your current digital marketing and they'll map you out a plan to generate more leads and sales from your site. You can get this at ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. We'll record a 20 minute video, send it over to you, showing you all of the things that you can do to improve the number of leads and sales that your site generates. It's completely free of charge, there's no obligation, and we're not going to pitch you on anything. Although, of course, if you want our help, then you're free to request it. So head over to ExposureNinja.com forward slash review. Anyway, without further ado, enjoy the show. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, Tim. How you doing? I'm doing good, thank you. So maybe we could start by you just telling us a bit about what your job is at Exposure Ninja and what you tend to do day to day. So I'm the head of editorial at Exposure Ninja. So uh, primarily my job is to sub-edit or proofread every piece of client-facing content that we provide to our clients. So every blog, every piece of outreach material, Anything we send that's either going to clients or representing clients will be initially written by either well one of our ninjas and then it will go to me. It will go to my spreadsheet, my sort of pseudo desk of sorts. And then I'll run through it to make sure that it's doing everything it needs to do from all angles. So grammatically, of course, but also style-wise, SEO optimization and all the things that we need to make sure are running smoothly so the content does what it needs to do. So that puts you in a really good position to see a lot of content, read a lot of content and tweak a lot of content. So that's unsurprisingly what we're going to be talking today. It feels like website copy and talking about website copy is something that most businesses would think, oh, yeah, but it's, you know, it's, it's just obvious. Like We don't really even need to, this isn't really even a conversation because what you write on your website is just, you know, you just write about your services or whatever. But actually, when you start digging a little bit deeper and looking what makes compelling copy, it's a lot more nuanced than that, isn't it? This isn't just, let's just write about our services. So when you're looking at the copy that's that we're writing, what do you think the purpose of, of website copy is? How would you how would you kind of describe the purpose of website copy? Well, you're absolutely right. It's definitely not any sort of uh, box ticking exercise. I guess the main goal, regardless of your style or your audience or what you're trying to sell, is is to compel a reader and to keep them there, to make them interested whether that be in your product or your service or your story, your journey, how you got to where you are, your opinion on a current affairs topic in a blog post. It, regardless of what it is, you need to be creating copy that 
compels a reader and keeps you in their mind, whether they stick around or they go somewhere else, they should be able to think about your brand and your website long after they've initially visited, thanks to your copy. You can do that in all manner of ways. One way to absolutely not do it is, like you said, to just sort of tick the box and just write copy that you feel has to be done because people, because you just see it on other websites and people tell you it has to be done or because it improves SEO quality if you use the right keywords and have enough words on each page. Those things are important, but they just lay the groundworks for what you can achieve with compelling copy. Yeah, it's, it's just, it's about engaging people that visit your website. You've got to understand that they're not just numbers on a spreadsheet. They're humans. They're, they're people that want to be engaged and entertained in everything that they do. So if you can find a way to do that within your copy that suits the audience that you're talking to, then that's what you should be looking to achieve within web copy on all pages, basically. I think that's a that's a really good point about not just viewing people who visit your website is like it's just one more visit on analytics it's just the unique is this is actually a person and when we're doing reviews of sites one of the things we'll notice if they've got some seo knowledge is let's say for example an e-commerce business will know that they need to add some copy to a product category page so they'll just put this block of you know they don't even think of it as copy they think of it as, as content and i think that that word doesn't really help but it's, it's just a block of content and it's just like you say, a box that's ticked that has a certain number of keywords and the single purpose of that content is just to show Google that you've got these particular keywords on a page. And there's no real attempt to make a connection. There's no attempt to stick in that person's mind or build any sort of relationship with the brand at all. It's just keywords strung together as loosely as they can possibly be. And it's been done as quickly as possible. I mean, aside from the obvious, what's the what's the kind of downside of this approach? It's, it's, uh, it's borderline disrespectful to the people that... <laughs> Because it's, it's almost telling that if they really think, a lot of people are much more sort of instinctive about the way they browse. But some people, if you put together some terrible copy that's either not grammatically correct or just looks like it's been thrown together in five minutes, they'll think, well, they haven't tried. They haven't, they haven't made the effort with writing their copy. They're not interested in engaging me and making me a, a customer that will come, and come back from time to time. So how can I trust them and their product or their service to be of a higher standard? Copy works the same way on a, on a web page and a website to the layout and the format itself, like pictures and choice of font and web loading speed and all these sort of things. It's, it's a major contributing factor to the perception of your brand and your product or service. It's a major part of, of that, which, which is something that you strive to make better through SEO and all sorts of different other areas of, of, mar- of online marketing. Copy helps you, positive and compelling copy helps you create this positive perception. As long as you just at least made the effort and you've had a go at trying to have a conversation with the the user, it shows that you're not a company that just does does things because they're told to do it on, they don't really fancy it and they're not putting 100% effort in. If you show in your copy that you really made the effort and you want to open up a conversation with this web user and want to put across that there's a reason that you should become our become our customer and collaborate with us, then people are going to respond, respond so much better to that. They're going to remember, even if they don't make a purchase first time, they're going to remember you. They're going to remember your approach over others that didn't have that kind of approach. And it stands you in much better stead to make purchases further down, for them to make purchases further down the line. I've always thought that it just, it works exactly the same as 
images and things like that that go that all contribute towards a good looking website and a good looking online company. It just adds to that positive perception that you're trying to create if you create compelling copy. Yeah, it's it I guess it's kind of like if you just ha- if you had a salesman in your shop, right? They're not just going to talk in keywords and just regurgitate bland content, are they? You'd be devastated if they did that. You kind of want them to to build a bit more of a relationship, don't you? It's you you're right, it's it's an opportunity to connect with people. That's a good way of looking at it. So if you if you try and relate what you're trying to do in copy to how things work in a physical store. So in a, in a brick and mortar shop, if you're trying to sell products, you need to, the product is front and center. That is the, that is the key selling point. So you have to put it, you have to position it well. It has to be easy to view and, and easy as possible to pick up and buy for the customer. But you have to have something with it that convinces people on the reason why they should buy it. So it needs, it needs to have a clear price tag. It needs to have maybe a short description. And that's exactly the same when it comes to writing, say, product descriptions for products on e-commerce websites. You have to let the product do the talking. But at the same time, you need to accompany that with compelling copy that tells people why they should be purchasing this product. Not just, here's what it is, here's the color that it is, here's how many we've got in stock, and here's the price. You have to have a little bit more than that. This is a bit of a strange, strange analogy that suddenly popped into my head, but I, I play video games quite a lot. I used to play The Sims a lot when I was a kid. And if you go over their products, like if you, if you want to buy stuff for your house and you go through all the different categories of things you can buy, every single product has a description and it's always funny. They're, they're purposely funny. They just, they try and mess about and they try and engage the, the gamer that way. And it's always stuck in my head. I, I played that when I was like eight years old. And I remember those funny product descriptions from The Sims and remember how engaging they were for me. So that's a perfect example of going above and beyond rather than just doing the standard box ticking copy that can help make something more memorable and more engaging. And then you get results out of that. I still play The Sims today. And that's probably one of the reasons why, because I have a positive perception of it because it's made me laugh. It's made me engaged. I guess what we're saying here is that because the standard, the bar is set so low by most website copy, if you do use humor or something like that, you've got an opportunity to really stand out. I'm just looking at a site at the moment. It's a travel site and it says it's selling the idea of Paris. And it says most people come to Paris for croissants, the Moulin Rouge and gloating in that order. (laughs) You know, it's just that it stands out because it's funny, doesn't it? And it's yeah, it's different. So Obviously, humor is not right for every business. You have to have a you have you have to decide on a brand tone of voice, I guess, and be consistent with that. So, if humor is not right for you, what are some other ways that people might be able to stand out in their copy? Like you said, it's it's all dependent, basically, on your on your demographic, your target target audience. You can go down the sort of the Apple way of thinking, where you just go short and sweet and impactful. You just use as little amount of words as possible, which almost is. Um, it's a great example of you like how if you look at high-end magazines like glossy magazines, the logo of the magazine will often be like partially blocked off by an image. The idea of that is to is to put across this perception that we're so important, we're so high-end and recognizable that you don't even need to see all of our logo to know who we are. That's the idea of putting it behind for not fully displaying the logo. In the same way, companies like Apple will put together copy that's so short compared to other competitors that it's then basically saying, look, we don't need to tell you all that much because 
Apple is so big, it's so successful, and you know you want to buy the product. We don't need to sell it to you. We're just going to keep it simple and not throw a load of commerce jargon at you and let you make the decision. So you can go down that road of short and sweet and engaging people that way because they might come to it. They might come to a, a website expecting lots and lots of copy, and then they don't get it. That becomes memorable. It becomes something that sticks in their head because. They were surprised by it. it was, oh, I came expecting this and I got something different. doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. It just means that it's something that remains in their mind. Yeah, I mean, humor works for the, the majority of companies. But as you said, you don't really want to be using it for like a, a funeral director or something. You want to keep it fairly things respectful. You want to keep it almost like borderline apologetic to sort of give across this sense of empathy that you're, you're with the person, you're, you're on their side. You'll get that with a lot of insurance companies and places like that that are trying to insurance companies and the like. They'll they'll create this sort of tone of voice that's very empathetic and trying to say, look, we understand your current problem, or we understand you might be worrying about this. Let us help you. Let us solve that problem together. Like they'll try and create a sense of inclusion and empathy. So there are absolutely lots of ways to do it that go beyond the standard just throwing in three hundred words because an SEO company said you should. <laughs> <laughs> not that we ever tell people that yeah we've got i mean we've got uh our web our web dev team our copy team are absolutely wonderful in the way that from the moment a client comes on board to do some and ask for some copy to be written for their website they're immediately talking to the client and they're immediately looking at their or to their competitors and their audience and their history of content to figure out what is going to be successful with copy on a website. They're not just going to throw in 300 words, including the excellently targeted keywords that the SEO team have come up with. They're going to include those keywords in with copy that they have researched over hours and hours and hours that's aimed specifically to benefit that client and that audience. It's a great point. I'm, I'm on the Apple website now. They have a very clear process that they use for each of their slides, the earpods, AirPods, wireless, effortless, magical. That's the headline. Then they've got another headline, wireless headphones, finally untangled. You know, you could make a template for this stuff, couldn't you? They're not, they're not throwing 300 words of technical details and how the, how the product came to be, its journey of how it came to be, because they know that the company has reached such a standing that if you just throw the Apple tag on it, then it's going to sell. So... I guess they're taking an approach. Most people, when they're writing copy for their website, the assumption might be, well, no one's going to read this. I'm just putting it up there for SEO purposes. It's not actually going to be useful. Whereas Apple is taking the complete different approach and saying, okay, so we're going to use whatever. We're going to use 30 words per slide. We know that they're going to get read. We're putting them front and center. So let's really focus on making them useful. So how do you get across that thing that where people might just be assuming, okay, we're just putting content here for SEO's sake and it's not actually going to be read? You've got to look at examples of the opposite, I guess. You've got to, everyone would have been in this position before. If you're running a, a small business and you're trying, to, you're trying to make sales, if you look at the, co- the companies and the brands that you buy from, the websites that you visit and you consume, whether it's in your industry or it's not, if you look at their their output and the, and the copy that they provide on their websites, what is it about that content that is keeping you there? Some Because quite often it's like people often say in online marketing or in marketing in general, that people will buy the why as much as they will buy the what. They're very willing to be engaged by the story that you provide or the approach that you come at them with if, they, if it appeals to them. So 
there'll be countless companies that they've bought from before that use compelling tone of voice or style or terminology in their web copy that's that's kept them engaged. And there you go. You just tell them, well, that's a clear, that if you've done it, everybody else is going to do it. So it happens to all, we're all a, convinced or engaged or influenced by copy uh, every single day. We just sometimes we just don't notice it. It's a very good point. It's a very good point. So let's talk about the difference between writing for website versus writing, say, an email or writing a brochure or something, I guess, more traditional media. When we're thinking about writing website copy, are we just, you know, page of prose or do we have to think about things in a slightly different way? Definitely not. Well, there will be publications and websites that a page of prose does work. It's what the target audience is expecting. But more often than not, you have to approach it a certain way that the audience is, is expecting. It all comes back to that sense of empathy and creating content that your audience is going to expect and engage with. So very rarely will web users react kindly to a, a wall of text uh, because it's not what they're expecting. They're visiting a website. Very often when we're browsing the web, that's what, exactly what we're doing. We're browsing. We're just sort of skimming things. We're looking for something very quick and very impactful in the media that's going to, be, that's going to engage us. So if your web user has just been browsing Facebook and your company's Facebook ad has just come up and they're interested in the product that's in the image, like, okay, I'll click on that but they're busy watching TV on the other screen and they're in the middle of what's happening in the, in the group that's on fire at the moment. So you just, you want to do something that's quick and impactful that won't keep them, won't confuse them or keep them waiting for what they want to know. You've got to be quick and you've got to be impactful. And that's not just with the copy, that's with the image as well. You need to bring them what they're expecting very, very quickly. And that's the general rule of thumb for most e-commerce places that the web user is looking for an answer to their question. They're they're looking for something, they have a problem and they want it to be solved. And that problem very often is something they want to buy or consume or take advantage of. So if you can provide that very quickly and tell them them within the web copy how to do that, then that's what you need to put first and foremost. The rest comes afterwards. Okay, so we're saying when people are browsing a web page, you kind of really got to get to the point straight away because they're looking for solutions, I guess, much more than sitting down with a newspaper or something and having a read. Yeah, absolutely. When someone sits down to read a newspaper, they've committed to something much more extensive. And that's their intention is to read something that's long and extensive. And, you know, that they're just they're willing to sit down and read it for a long amount of time. Whereas when you're browsing on a website, you're you want something quick and you want something impactful because you've got so many other things going on and we're very quick to throw things away online. We'll consume so much more when we're online than we will when reading normal print or stuff like that. So as an, as an example, so in my spare time, I'm a freelance, freelance sports journalist. And last weekend, I had to write two reports on the same match, one for a website and then one for a, one for a newspaper. And after sort of, so someone said to me before the game, why don't you just copy and paste the two reports? And I said, you just can't. You can't do that. First of all, it's a little bit unprofessional. Second of all, you're bound to alienate or not interest, not spark interest in one section, in one of those publications' audiences because it's not tailored to that audience. You've not set it up in a format and a style that works for them. So with the website one, I went early with the action and I went early with the the goals and the important moments in the match and what things want to read about because 
if you're a fan of a football club, you wanted to watch the game at home, but you've been forced to go out into town and do a bit of shopping, then you want to go on your phone and you want to click up on the match report and find out what the score was, 30 seconds. And then if you want, you can read the rest. It's afterwards, it's all the match action, but you have to put the important stuff at the front because they haven't got as much time and they haven't committed to this sort of long form experience than you would when, if you were to buy the newspaper. So for the newspaper report, it's much it's much it has a bit more of a flow to it and the key information is spread out a little bit more across all of the text so i guess that's a, an example of how you can how you must basically change the style to fit the experience that the user is the user is expecting let's talk about profiling that user cuz you're editing copy and proofing for huge range of, of businesses in pretty much every imaginable market. So when you're editing, what's the typical user that you're picturing? What's the typical website visitor that you're picturing? And, and how do you make sure that all of the content is tailored to them? Well, I guess, I guess in a way I can't, I can't really set out a typical user because our range of clients and the publications that we will then pitch to and write for in outreach content is so vast and so varied that the target audience differs so wildly you know, ac- across different clients and different publications that I'm not able to really do that. The only way you can do it, and it's the same goes whether you're an editor or a sub-editor or you're a writer or you're the owner of a website and a small business, is to just look at what your audience is up to and what they are saying. So if you're able to engage with your audience, however small they might be, then you ha- you stand a much better chance of being able to write copy that appeals to them. There's such a heavy emphasis nowadays on social media engagement and how businesses must share and publish content that goes out on social media to keep up their social media profiles. That's important. But what's also important is reading the responses to that content and the reviews that people put on your put for your products or just their general social media profiles to find out the kind of language that they're using, the kind of tone that they use, and to see if wherever relevant and wherever possible, you can replicate that. That would be the first place to go when you're looking to create a certain style or a certain tone of voice for your content on your website. Other options are, of course, looking at competitors in your industry and seeing how they do it and seeing how successful it is. So you can look at their own published content and see if it gets a strong response and see if there's a correlation to the content that gets high engagement to see if there's a certain style that seems to appeal to people. And if, if there is some sort of correlation, find a way of not necessarily repeating that, but taking the best bits and including your own unique touch within your own copy. First and foremost, you want to go with your audience. You want to find out from them, whether it's social media or surveys or just any way of in, engaging in conversation with them, find out what they're, how they speak, how they, how they put their points across. And you'll have a much better idea of what you should be doing yourself. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a great point. I think one of the most useful market research exercises that, that we've ever done is I just picked out, we, we did a trade show and every time we do a trade show, I'll just pick out a few people that we meet at the trade show and just offer them an Amazon voucher and just say, can, can we just have a chat for 15 minutes on, on the phone? And it's amazing getting to talk to someone at that level of detail and, and say, you know, what, what What sort of phrases are you looking for? What are your daily struggles? You know, what, what are your goals in life? Well, all of this stuff allows you to build up a picture of the sort of person that you're selling to. And I think the danger of working on websites is, is that we never really personify the target, right? do we? It's, it's just, 
we want to get ranked for this page, this phrase, so we can get this many hits, and then we can get this many conversions. And actually, if you think about writing to just one person, and you write using the language that they use, even if it's incorrect language, you know, that that, that comes, you know, that also sorts out all of your keyword stuff, just like you're mentioning about the reviews, the reviews are an amazing place, you can go, if you're selling something and go on Amazon and see how people are describing it, because chances are, they're not using the same words that industry insiders would be using. And that can be a, a really interesting way to and that engagement and that that you have with a consumer is something that is almost, I mean, the success rate of people that you you talk to and when you're representing your business, the success rate of them coming back to your website and becoming a consumer must be so high because they suddenly have this personal connection with the website and they feel included. We've all had it. We all we all experience it in our lives. There's as was a, a celebrity or a football club or whatever that has an online presence and they'll put out some sort of posts and you'll make a comment on it or reply to it. And if they, even if they so much as take two seconds of their life to click on the heart button to show that they liked it, it's a massive deal. Like we all react incredibly positively to that. It's then the equivalent to that in online marketing is just having a conversation with your customers. And if you do that, then you've gone so far beyond what the average company will do to engage their audience and make them feel part of something that you're more often than not onto a winner. Let's talk about grammar, because obviously a large part of what you're doing is sorting out people's grammar, right? When I wrote the first How to Get to the Top of Google book, I didn't even proofread it myself. I, did, I just wrote it and then published it and thought, yeah, I'll be fine. Turns out it wasn't. And actually people started commenting and, and giving me bad reviews on Amazon, not because of the content of the book, but because the execution was poor. There's there's like an obvious level of where, you know, you don't want to use spelling mistakes or grammar mistakes. But the main thing I want to check with you, and I think it's impossible for people to proof their own stuff. Would you agree? Yeah, it's possible. <laughs> I don't proofread my own stuff and nor should any sub-editor or editor proofread their own stuff. The reason for that mostly is because you tend to write stuff, especially when it's long form. You get on a roll, you'll struggle for a bit, usually, unless you're amazing. And then you'll suddenly get on a roll and you'll reel off 500, 600 words in 15 minutes. You go, oh, that's fantastic. It's brilliant. You've done that because you've been able to get on a roll and write with a flow that works for you. So when you then go back to do the proofread of your own work, you then read it back in your head the same way that you wrote it. So if you've missed something, then your brain is too busy following it so perfectly that it won't spot it. You'll, you'll have made a mistake and your brain would have just completely overlooked it because it's written in a way that suits it so down to the ground that it's just flying along the page and is, abs- is having a wonderful time proofreading it. What you actually need to do is have a set of eyes that is less acquainted with your, your approach to writing so that they will read it slower and they'll have to digest it slightly slower and they'll be able to pick out errors or little things that need changing much more easily. So you're absolutely right. You, regardless of who you are, you cannot proofread your own work because you will just you'll miss out sometimes glaring errors. And I'm as guilty of that as anybody, which is why we've got a proofing system, Exposure Ninja, in place for the proofreader. Very true. So talking about grammar, obviously there's grammar Nazis out there and I'm like a semi-grammar Nazi. Would you consider yourself a grammar Nazi? I would in the sense that if I walk past a shop that's got a grammatically incorrect sign, I won't walk in. (laughs) (laughs) Almost out of, just to make a point, basically. (laughs) I can't imagine everybody's like that. But yeah, I, I, you sort of have to be to be a proofreader or a sub-editor. But at the same time, you have to have a level of understanding of that it can always be 
100% absolutely spot on because sometimes that ends up creating copy and content that is difficult to read because it's so intellectual and it's so spot on that not everybody is up to that level of reading standard. So they'll struggle to read it. You might be absolutely brilliant with your grammar and you might write an eight line paragraph with a bunch of semicolons and hyphens and things in it that are actually technically correct and wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't lose any marks if it was an exam, but that's not actually how you should do it. You should probably look to break things up a little bit more and make it more accessible to read. Of course, as always, it's dependent on your audience, but more often than not, you're going to have to absolutely not dumb things down, but you have to put forward content in a way that is very easy for people to consume. Because as we've already said, people are looking to consume information very, very quickly. So if you put it, if you give them information, that's very difficult to digest in a short amount of time, then they're going to, they're not going to be interested. You have to take your passion for grammar and sort of take it with a pinch of salt and realize that you have to sort of strike a balance to make sure that you're creating content that will engage users and be beneficial for for yourself or for your client. I guess it's the danger of becoming a bit sterile, is it? I know that a lot of copywriters and, and sales copywriters would recommend, you know, reading what might be considered trashy newspapers because the grammar is correct, but the message is portrayed in an entertaining way. And I know Frank Kern likes his trashy chick lit stuff for a similar reason, because the way it's written is is designed to kind of keep you engaged and keep you reading. It's not that the grammar's poor, they're just short sentences, they're compelling, they're maybe not, you know, you probably wouldn't get a solicitor writing in that way, but it's written for people, it's written to be entertaining, and that's why it's been successful. So thinking about it like that, we, we get a balance between being correct, but also keeping the fun and keeping the entertainment and the surprise. Yeah, you have to make it accessible. You've got to Regardless of who, who your audience might be, you have to make copy for your website and for your blog that they're going to be enjoying reading. They'll make it, you can't make things difficult for them. That's not what they're there for. They're taking time out of their own day to read content from you. So it's time for you, you to put forward something to them that's enjoyable for them to read. And if you just do something that's very flat and correct, sort of sacrifices entertainment for the purpose of uh, being absolutely on point with your grammar, then you're not really going to get much success. You're absolutely right. Red top publications, newspapers, even if you might dislike them and I'm not much of a fan, you have to respect the way that they are able to engage their audience with proper grammar and not just proper grammar, but grammar in a, in a style and in a format that is almost always perfectly suited to that audience. They know exactly what they're doing with copy and how to put it forward and constantly provokes a reaction out of them and keeps them coming back every day to pick up the same newspaper or read the same website. Very, very true. Thank you, Chris. This has been fascinating. Firstly, before we go into where people can find out more about you and the awesome work that the Ian copy team does, what sort of season are Plymouth Argyle going to have this year, do you think? <laughs> uh, you, this is horrible. This is documented as well. Yeah, so yeah. Gotta get, right. Uh, well, we're two games in. We've lost the first league game, but we played very well against Peterborough United. And then we went to Bristol City in the League Cup and got hammered. So that's that competition done and out of the way with. <laughs> it means you can focus on the league, right? Yeah, focus on the league. If I had a bell for cliches, I'd be dinging it right now. Um, <laughs> I think we'll be all right. The general consensus is we'll be okay. We won't be pushing for promotion out of League One 
but we won't be battling relegation either. So I think we'll be mid-table obscurity will do us absolutely fine. Thank you very much. <laughs> so you won't be coming up to uh, to Forest next year then? Oh, I will, because they're coming down, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure they will. Chris, how can people find out more about you and Explosion Ninja? Uh, well, you can visit ExplosionNinja.com and check out our blog, where I'm writing some blogs from time to time about different aspects of outreach and blogging. I just recently wrote one about how to always write compelling calls to action. I think it's an eight-step guide to making sure that every call to action you ever write, whether it's landing pages or blog posts, will engage readers using a lot of the stuff that we talked about. And you can find me on Twitter at OTP Chris. OTP Chris. Awesome. Thanks so much, dude. No problem. Thank you very much. <laughs>